in our look at the book of Matthew, Yeshua has given us his halakha, in English, his standard for walking out the commands of God. You know, you hear a lot about Torah observance, about being Jewish. Obeying the commands of God does not make you Jewish. It makes you Torah observant. It makes you obedient to God. And understand as well that living out the commands of God takes further instruction. You have to have a method for living out the commands of God. As an example, love your neighbor as yourself takes on a different meaning for me than it does for someone else. And so then you have to understand that the Pharisees had a specific method for living out the commands of God. And in chapters 5, 6, and 7 of Matthew, Yeshua is giving us His method of living out the commands of God. He's telling us how they should be lived out. And I I want you to imagine this morning that you were a disciple or that you were one of those who were listening to Yeshua that day when He gave the Sermon on the Mount. You go out to the mountainside and here's this rabbi. And he started the message out by telling us how wonderful, how happy, how content, how blessed we will be if we just follow him. He tells us that by following him and his halakha, we're going to be happy, secure, content people who will inherit the kingdom of heaven. However, he then tells us that our righteousness has to exceed that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law if we want to gain access to the kingdom. Think about it for a minute and listen to what Josephus says about the Pharisees. He says, And whatsoever the Pharisees do about the divine worship, the prayers and the sacrifices, the priests perform them according to their direction insomuch that the city's give great attestation to them on account of their entire virtuous conduct, both in actions of their lives and in their discourses. Yeshua would have told them that their righteousness has to exceed that of these men that they look to for leadership. And they look to them because of their virtuous lives. To give you an idea of what it would have brought to their mind. Listen to the words of Yeshua in Matthew chapter 23 and verse 2. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat, so you must obey them and do everything they tell you, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy loads and put them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Yeshua is telling them that their righteousness has to exceed this heavy load of the Pharisees. And if I said to you that your righteousness must exceed that of the Pharisees, right away you'd be thinking of this. Let me go just a little bit farther. Everything they do is for men to see. They make their phylacteries wide, their tassels on their garments long. They love the places of honor at banquets, the most important seats in the synagogue. They love to be greeted in the marketplace and have men call them rabbi. I want you to think of this for a moment, folks. Think of these folks who look so righteous, so pious, that you have never in your life been able to live up to their halakha. And now you have Yeshua telling you, hey, that's not good enough. I tried to liken it to something, this, and I, I likened it to going to the Vatican. 
and gathering a group of faithful Catholics at the, at the Vatican and telling them, your standard of living, your walk through life has to exceed that of the Pope and the Cardinals if you're going to enter the kingdom of heaven. Not only that, then he lays out a seemingly impossible mission for everyone there. These things that he's spoken of that will separate them from the Pharisees and the teachers of the law are seeming impossible standard to be lived out. Love each other as you love yourself? Don't be angry? Give until you have to fast to give more? Bless and pray for your enemies? If you divorce, you commit adultery? If you even look at another woman, you commit adultery. Let your yeses be yes and your noes no. These are, these are hard. In fact, impossible things for us to do. They go against everything that we are and have been taught outside of Yeshua. So imagine that you're sitting there that day. You're listening to Yeshua and you're saying, Oy vey! I'm lost! Whatever am I going to do? Remember the disciples' response to just his discourse on divorce. Matthew chapter 19 and verse 10. The disciples said to him, If this is the situation between a husband and a wife, it's better not to marry. So you know now what would be going through your mind as you sat there listening. You would have been thinking, This guy's got a screw loose. No one can live up to this stuff. No one can walk these out. If that's the case, we're doomed. Think about it. Because I know I look at the words of Yeshua and I think, how on earth could God expect us not to get angry, to fast so that we can give more? Impossible. And so Yeshua, at the end of his message, right toward the end of his message, he gives them some hope. He gives them the key to becoming these types of people. He removes the impossibility from the situation because they know and we know that with God anything is possible. And so what does he say to them? Well, Matthew chapter 7 and verse 7 says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks the door will be open. Which of you? If, you, if your son asks for bread, we'll give him a stone. Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a snake. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. You see, I want you to see something. If you miss these five verses here, you can take the rest of the Sermon of the Mountain. You can just go away and lament for the rest of your life because you can't live up to the standard anyway. So you're not going to be blessed. And you're not going to be part of the kingdom. I want to reason this out a little bit this morning. Did you ever sit and wonder why God would bother with us? Did you ever sit and look at the awesomeness of the creation, the vastness of what he has done, from the microscopic germs on your fingertips to the ends of the universe, if there is an end? Did you ever look at all of that and wonder, why would God concern himself with us? 
Well, the psalmist did in Psalm 8 and verse 3. He says, When I consider the heavens and the works of your hands, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? You look at the beauty of creation and then you look at the mess that man is. Think of it for a moment. Man, in the first generation of his existence, disobeys God within the first week of creation. He and his wife disobey God. In the second generation, man is already a murderer of his brother. By the time we get to Noah, the whole earth, with the exception of one man, is filled with violence and beyond help and needs to be destroyed. And folks, you can look around you today because it hasn't gotten any better. And so... Why on earth would God be mindful of us? Why would he even want to bother with us? You know, some would say, well, because he wants us to give him praise and worship. Well, listen, folks, God has cherubim who worship and give him praise all day long. They never stop saying nor tire of saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. When was the last time anyone praised him like that? Do you know of anyone who praised him like that? All day long. Holy, holy. The heavenly hosts praise him continually. Listen to what Isaiah says. Sing for joy, O heavens, for the Lord has done this. Sing aloud, O earth beneath. Burst into songs, you mountains, you forests, and all your trees, for the Lord has redeemed Jacob and displays His glory in Israel. Songs are sung in the heavens, praising His name all day long. When it says heavens, O heavens, sing O heavens, it speaks of the heavenly hosts. The temple worship in heaven sings songs all day long. The earthly temple was a shadow. They sang psalms at the services. So ask yourself, what does He really need us for? He has all the praise He's ever going to need. The fact is, I can think of just one thing. I can't think of anything that he needs us for except for one thing. And so to find that one thing, let's return to the Torah for a moment, to the creation and to the fall. Because there's something there that I think people miss. And as we pick up in chapter 3, I want you to remember that Adam and Chava have eaten from the fruit. They've disobeyed God. They've transgressed the only instruction that God gave them. And in verse 8 of chapter 3, it says, Then man and his wife heard the voice of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees. And the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? And so the Lord comes to the garden And he's walking through the garden, looking and enjoying at all that he has made. And he's speaking, and they hear his voice, and he's calling to his son, Adam, where are you? Adam, where are you, son? Do you see it? The father in Yeshua, by his spirit, made Adam, made man in his image and in his likeness. He made him sinless, pure and holy. 
And I don't read anywhere in there where Adam sang songs to God. I don't read about him falling on his face when he saw God and, and worshiping him. What I see and read here is God calling to Adam to speak to him, to walk with him in the garden in the cool of the day. Something I bring out in the people of God study is that God made man in his image so that he might have meaningful fellowship with him, to talk with him. You know, you can love something that's not like you, like your dog or your cat, but you can't have meaningful conversation with them. You can't really have meaningful fellowship with them. God comes to the garden to speak to Adam and he finds out that he has transgressed the very instruction that allowed for him to have the kind of relationship that he had with God. God made man in his image to share his life, to share life with him. And man has now chosen not to remain in that image. We're told over and over that God is pure and holy, so holy, so pure, that we in our fallen state can no longer even look upon His face and live. Adam too was holy. He was pure right up until he ate that fruit. Now that he ate, he's no longer in the image of God. He's no longer able to fulfill the purpose for which he was made. And God was grieved. He is no longer able to talk one to one with Adam, who's in his image, his son. But now Adam was diminished. Beneath him, so to speak, communication, heart-to-heart communication was broken. Let's go back to our dog and cat scenario. Think of it. Because you do talk to your dog. You speak to it. You give it commands. Do this. Don't do that. Sit, come, roll over. But you can't share with the dog. It doesn't understand your concerns. You can't talk to him about who you are. And that's very much what it's like for the Creator as He relates to us now. We're now like dogs to Him. He's given us a list of commands. Love your neighbor. Eat this. Don't eat that. But He's unable to share Himself or His concerns or His thoughts with us because of the fallen state we're in. God longs to walk. He longs for the walks and the talks that He had with His Son in the garden. He longs for the walks in the cool of the day. But we have chosen a path that forever changed that. Because we're no longer in His image, in His likeness. Let's, I want to look for a minute at how much He actually longs for that relationship. Look at it. Genesis chapter 5 and verse 21 says, And when Enoch had lived 65 years, he became the father of Methuselah. And after he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Enoch lived 365 years. Enoch walked with God and then was no more because God took him away. You see, when God found one man in the midst of all the violence that was in the world, one man who would walk with him and talk with him, he took him away. 
because he loved him so much that he said, you're not going to taste death. Come walk with me in the garden in the cool of the day. And so Enoch was taken to the garden and he walks and talks with God to this day. Let's look at another one. Move a few, another chapter forward to chapter 6 and verse 5. And the Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become and that every inclination of the thoughts of his hearts was only evil all the time. And the Lord was grieved that he had made man on the earth. His heart was filled with pain. And the Lord said, I will wipe mankind whom I have created from the face of the earth. Men, animals, creatures that move along the ground, birds of the air, I'm grieved that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. You see, after he takes this one man, Enoch, a few hundred years go by and God looks down, he sees the earth. It's so far removed from his image. It's so wicked that he looks down and he says, there's no hope that I'll ever find another man like Enoch that I'll be able to share fellowship with again. And so he says, my heart is grieved and it's filled with pain. Let me just wipe these rabid dogs from the earth. But Noah, one man, found favor. And listen to what it says in verse 9. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time. He walked with God. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was filled with violence. And God saw how corrupt the earth had become. For all the people on the earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I'm surely going to destroy them both and the earth. So make yourself an ark of cypress wood. Make rooms in it and coat it with pitch inside and out. You see those two words there? He walked with God and he talked with God. God spoke to Noah. And because of that, Noah became one of the pillars of our faith and saved all mankind from being wiped off the face of the earth because he walked and he listened to God. He listened to God's concern about mankind. And then we're told Noah did everything just as God commanded him. Noah did everything as the Lord commanded. Just one man who God could talk to. And because of that one man, God took hope. that his son could be restored, that the earth could be saved, that one man, because he spoke and walked with God, became one of the pillars we look to, all because he walked and he talked with the Holy One. And we could go on. Look at Abraham, verse chapter 12, verses 1 through 4. And the Lord said to Abram, Leave your country, your people, your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham left as the Lord had told him. Abraham walks and talks with God so much so that Yaakov tells us in the book that we call James that Abraham was considered to be God's friend. God considered Abraham a friend. And it doesn't end with Abraham. Listen to what it says about Jacob. 
In chapter 28 and verse 10, he had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it and there above it stood the Lord and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. And Moses, listen to Moses in Exodus chapter 3 and verse 4. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses! And Moses says, here am I. And what we have here within this passage is the start of a beautiful friendship that will last the rest of Moses' life. And then go on into eternity because the next time we see him, we see him with Elijah speaking to Yeshua on another mountain. And God looks down from heaven at Moses and Elijah and Yeshua and he says of Yeshua, this is my son, listen to him. Listen to him. Are you starting to get it? God made man to have fellowship with. He made you to talk to. He wants to speak to you. So ask yourself, when was the last time you spoke to him? Heard his voice. When was the last time you had a meaningful talk with him? Listen, when you get this one thing in your understanding, you start to see, as you read the Bible, you start to see speaking, Hearing the voice of God everywhere in Scripture. God brings Israel out of Egypt, and I can imagine what he's thinking. I'm bringing a whole people, all of my people out of slavery. Surely they're going to walk with me. Surely they're going to talk with me. And he gets them to Mount Sinai, and he says in chapter 19 and verse 5, Now if you will hear my voice, and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. All of the whole earth is mine. You will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelite. God asks him to have fellowship with him, to speak to him, to be his people. And of course we all know they say yes, but later then they change their mind and they say, no, Moses, you speak to us and we'll listen. You see, at this time there's still so much distance between fallen man and God, that the people are fearful when they hear God's voice. And the opportunity is lost. And so next, what does God do? He says, I'm going to send my son to repair the damage done by sin. He will, through his sacrifice, repair this barrier between us. Then I'll have a people to talk with, to walk with. Listen to the words of Yeshua in John chapter 10. I tell you the truth, the man who does not enter the sheep by the pin gate, but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of his sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. And when he has brought them out all his own, he goes ahead of them, And the sheep follow him because they know his voice. They know his voice. His voice. The sheep know the voice of the shepherd. Skip down to verse 14 and it says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father. I lay my life down for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this pen and I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice. And there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. 
I have the authority to lay it down to take it up again. I receive this command from my Father. He says they too will listen to my voice. It's not a figure of speech, folks. It's not a figure of speech that God's been using since the fall. But it's His desire that we talk to Him and we listen to His voice, that we have fellowship with Him, that we go to Him with our problems, that we concern ourselves with His problem, the rest of the lost of the world. It's why He made us. He wants us to choose to return to Him, to have fellowship with Him. He desires it so much that He gave His Son to reconcile us to Him so that when He speaks to us as He did to Israel, we'll not be fearful, but we'll listen and we can walk and talk with Him. Shaul calls it being led by the Spirit. Now, with all of this in mind, let's go back to our verses in Matthew chapter 7 and with verse 7. It says... Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Yeshua says, ask, seek, knock. Three imperatives. It would be better to say, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. You see, God wants you to come to Him in prayer. He wants you to come to Him and speak with Him. It's why He made you. You don't have to fear rejection. You don't have to fear retribution because of what Yeshua has done. You don't have to fear a thing because He's just waiting for you to come to Him and ask Him for whatever. Seek Him for whatever. He's waiting for you to answer the call that He made to Adam so many years ago in the garden. Adam, where are you? He's asking. He's waiting for you to knock on the door and say, Lord, where are you? Come walk with me. Verse 8 says, For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be open. Which of you? If his son asks for bread, will give him a stone. Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake. If you then, though evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father give good gifts to those who ask Him? Let me ask you a question. Do you really think that God, who could have wiped mankind off the face of the earth, the one who was so encouraged by Enoch, by Noah and Moses, that He sent His Son to give His life to remove all the barriers between you and He, Think about it. And after you think about that, do you think He's not going to answer you when you call on Him? When He finally gets you to speak to Him? When He finally gets you to call on on Him? Do you think He's not going to speak back? That, my friend, would be like writing a symphony and never going to the music hall to hear it. It would be like building a car and never taking it for a ride. It's ridiculous to think of it. People go through life wondering, why am I here? Why was I made? What is my purpose? Then they get to the end of their lives and they're lying on their deathbeds wondering, what's next? 
When all the time it's right here. And it was so simple. It was right there in front of them all the time. God made you and you're here because He wants you to share your life with Him. And He will in turn share eternal life with you. His eternal life. I mean, you can sit and ponder the mysteries of the Bible all your life. And you can come up with all the conspiracy theories in the world. You can think, you can, you can study Talmud and Mishnah till you're blue in the face, until you know every nuance of Torah. You can go to the finest seminaries and cemeteries. Whatever you like. But when you get right down to the truth of the whole matter, God just wants to talk to you. That's it. That's what this life is all about. When you get to the real truth of the book, it's so simple. It's so hard to believe. It took so many pages. It's so long, all of these pages, just to explain, look, I want to talk to you. I want to share your life and I want you to come and share my life. He doesn't care if you know the Bible by heart or if you've never read it through completely. As long as you get this one thing. He's calling for you to come and walk with Him. Share your life with Him so that He can share His life with you. Want to get to the end of being, you want to get to the end of life being one of those who are blessed? One of the blessed ours? Well, Yeshua is telling us how. It's not the fringe you wear. It's not the food you eat. It's not your Sabbath observance. Those things are important. But Yeshua is telling you to pray and those things will be added. Seek ye first God and His kingdom and the rest will be added. The rest is a shoo-in. God wants to talk to you. All the rest, the sitting, the barking, the rolling over, the coming, the fetching, that's all good. It will make a good pet out of you. But God wants to talk to you. He wants you to be more than just a good pet. He wants you to be His bride. He wants you to be His companion. He wants you to be His friend. And there's only one place you're going to find those things. That's in your prayer closet. And so the choice is yours this morning. I mean, you can go on sitting and rolling over if you like. Or you can go home tonight and have a meaning discussion with the king. The choice is yours.